Hello everyone. Welcome to the 8th podcast of the introduction to blockchain. The last podcast talked about the types of crypto assets and the earlier podcasts have given you a fair idea about what blockchain is. We have heard from a lot of people that the technology is not ready for prime time and then take those words back. some people still have a vague understanding of cryptocurrency even fewer have heard of blockchain technology do you know that you are amongst that 0.1% indian population that knows that bitcoin and blockchain are not the same to change the stigma and help spread awareness and understanding we need to work together but before that let's talk about the challenges that stand in the way before us hello everyone the biggest concern about this is that the technology of the future is already here but its infrastructure is unevenly distributed let's break it down further and understand what we are talking about primarily it means the physical infrastructure to support it and then the second concern is the system lacks the transactional capacity for mass uses inaccessibility to the average person is our third concern there is not enough support or enough wallet support and a lot of interfaces aren't user friendly they are in complex code and tech jargon the fourth concern is liquidity bitcoin has a fixed quantity for example there will be 21 million bitcoins in circulation by the year 2014 but it will be mined at a decreasing rate as the number of users grow the value per coin is likely to grow perhaps it will continue to grow long into the future well what's wrong with that you might ask and here is the challenge early adopters hold on to the bitcoin as miners hold on to the gold they hold it hoping that the value will increase rather than treating it as something to exchange the fifth concern is high latency it takes on an average a 10 minutes to clear and settle transactions on the bitcoin blockchain network it's faster end to end than most other payment forms but it is still too long for certain use cases like internet of things where devices need to interact non stop 10 minutes is just too long to retail financial transactions where the timing matters to get an asset at a particular price entrepreneurs can modify the source code by tweaking a few parameters or by launching a new blockchain known as altcoin in place of bitcoin Litecoin is a popular altcoin with a block time of 2 and 1/2 minutes. The sixth concern is the behavioral change required well beyond net etiquette. Bitcoin provides better privacy, stronger security and more freedom from third party cost structures and system failures. But with greater freedom comes greater responsibility. Unlike Bitcoin users average people aren't used to backing up their money on a hard hardware wallet the final concern the possible lack of legal choices in a world of transaction finality and unstoppable smart contracts smart contracts can ensure a transaction goes through with mathematical certainty but it allows no room for human doubt or regret The unprecedented approach means that blockchain users can decide which rules to follow but once they decide once they execute a smart contract there is no backing out moving ahead to the second concern 
which is related to the implementation issues. Remember, proof-of-work consensus mechanism used by the blockchain called Bitcoin. This mechanism ensures network security. To hack the Bitcoin network, hacker would need more computing power than the rest of the Bitcoin network combined. A hacker would have to overpower the network in broad daylight. So, these protocols are not only the unique building blocks, they are critical building blocks of people's trust in the system. As amazing as these blockchain protocols are, they pose a very big problem. The energy used to show proof of work is significant and if it scales linearly, it will be unsustainable. Let's delve deeper into the amount of processing power we are talking about. This might get a bit technical. But bear with me, the reward is worth it. Hashing, the process of digesting transactions through the secure hash algorithm known as SHA-256 and solving a block burns a lot of electricity. Estimates like in the Bitcoin network's energy consumption is more than 4.41 billion kilowatt hours, a Godzilla-sized carbon footprint. The second energy-related issue is computer architecture. If Bitcoin truly becomes a global network for payments, some developers believe they will need to move away from proof-of-work as a security measure and find an alternative mechanism. So, other networks such as Ethereum or EOS have explored other consensus algorithms like proof-of-stake to secure the network while retaining decentralization. Remember, the purpose of consensus algorithms is to allocate the right to decide the state of blockchain network to a decentralized set of users. The smartest technologists on the planet are working on creative solutions to the energy problem. Those include more efficient devices and greater use of renewable energy. As computers with artificial intelligence become smarter, so too will the solutions that they provide. Moving ahead, the third challenge or concern that we have is government and the rules and regulations that are made revolving around it. Aishwari, can you please elaborate on this? Bitcoin creator Satoshi Nakamoto viewed this blockchain experiment as a new path towards freedom, not total upheaval. Cryptography is not a solution to the world's political problems, he said. In the past, governments have successfully stifled centrally controlled networks. NASPER is one such example. It was a popular peer-to-peer digital music file sharing network in the late 1990s. It threatened big central powers of the music industry and it did not last long after facing massive litigation over copyright infringement. Another live example is Telegram, which wanted to bring its own blockchain infrastructure but got into government's policy crosshairs and dropped its goal in next two years. Lawmakers attempting to introduce laws or policies without fully understanding the technology is a recipe for disaster. By not understanding blockchain potential, new legislation can actually harm its development. In India only, when government banned cryptocurrency trading, it led to so many blockchain enthusiasts to either drop their plans or move overseas. Zeppay, India's largest crypto exchange, had to shut down. Blockchain was born 
of the public domain and released to the public domain. The courts think physicality is dividing line between virtual property and intellectual property. It's not. The challenge is difficult. How do lawmakers expect the unexpected? How do they prevent the technology from falling into the wrong hands? The learning curve for governments is steep. On the one hand, lawmakers must not stifle innovation for fear of possible abuses, human trafficking, illicit drug trade, gun running, child pornography, tax evasion, money laundering, counterfeiting, and the coordination of terrorists or white supremacists. These are all worst-case scenarios and they are looking to exploit all innovations, not just blockchain. On the other hand, government must not twist untested applications like blockchain-based platforms for identity management to infringe on or restrict civil liberties. They already appear to be doing this in China with a social scoring system. We need a stable approach to regulation, legislation and international negotiation. We need investors to remain confident and continue to support the technology's global development. Jurisdiction is already an issue with Bitcoin. How should cryptocurrencies and other digital assets and their sale and transactions be regulated? Most government leaders and regulators do not understand the power of this technology innovation for economic and social development. When they first hear of it, they are skeptical. And as usual, when a new paradigm emerges, vested interests fight the change. New paradigms are often received with coolness or worse hostility. Leaders of the old paradigm are often the last to embrace the new. In fairness, this is a tough time to be a regulator. The IRS have labeled Bitcoin as an asset for calculating taxes on the appreciation of value. Other governments banned it altogether. There are various other things government need to think before bringing laws that could just kill the development of this new technology. The fourth concern is powerful incumbents of an old paradigm will usurp the blockchain. There have been a lot of concerns about the first generation of the internet. One of the biggest fear is that powerful corporations will capture most of the technology and use it to fortify their private empires. This has already come true since corporations have often not been good stewards of public trust. Think of how corporations have closed off opportunity and privatized much of our digital experience. Let's, let's understand with an example of the banking industry. Banks are among the oldest secret keepers. They make good judgments about whom to lend and how to process payments because they have access to private information. They get this information by promising to keep it secret. The bank has an advantage that other industries do not. Transfer that scenario to the blockchain. What's to prevent huge corporations or powerful nation states from capturing blockchain technologies for their own narrow interests? Blockchain technology has emerged as an important global resource, but it is also a disruptor. Any tool of consensus like blockchain will be vulnerable to powerful interests just as the Russians use social media to influence elections and public policy, corporations can use marketing to encourage behavior benefiting their interests. We are not saying corporations and governments shouldn't be involved. Society needs cooperation to create jobs and wealth. 
and the government to deliver services, but in no way should the blockchain be prevented or wielded to limit it, its greater benefit to the society. Another example is in 2014, where thieves attacked the Mintpal exchange and stole 8 million Veri coins, a proof-of-stake cryptocurrency. Within days of the attack, the Vericoin developers released a new code forking Vericoin blockchain prior to the hack. They essentially rolled back and collaborated with the exchanges to ensure adoption. But there would be no such escape if, this, if someone ordered a similar attack and controlled 51% of the network. This culprit could be a government leader or the executive of a highly profitable company or even one of the wealthiest person in the world. Whatever this person's identity, the culprit could use sheer purchasing power to stage a 51% attack or the very least subvert the blockchain. A third scenario involves the old litigate rather than innovate strategy. Incumbents could lobby for regulation to defend and fortify their interest in territory. They could rig the system so that the existing regulators for well-established firms apply to small startups. If any startup survives these regulations, then incumbents could shoo to finish them off. This ruthless strategy could buy incumbents time to get their own affairs in order. On the other hand, the strategy could drain the incumbent of whatever real value it contains. Let's talk about the fifth concern, which is incentives. The incentives are inadequate for mass collaboration. Now before we dive into why miners choose to maintain the blockchain network on Bitcoin, let's be clear about the services miners provide. It is not transaction validation. Every node in the network can validate transactions. What miners do is preserve the distribution of power. This is the power to decide which transactions to include in each block, the power to mint coins and the power to vote on the truth. If the network fails, all the unconverted bitcoins that miners earn or, or could earn through mining would be lost or worthless or otherwise at risk. The network gets good value for miners in exchange of large sums of bitcoin. This has actually become quite a big business. Initially, mining something like bitcoin only required some spare CPU processing power. Now, Large companies spend millions of dollars building specialized chips to compete in a huge global market. But is the incentive going to last? If it goes away, how will the network stay so secure? Consider this, the number of bitcoins minted is cut to half every 4 years or 210 coins. When, what will happen when the reward drops to zero? One answer is to charge fees. The total number of bitcoins that will exist ever is predetermined. So once all bitcoins have been minted, fees will likely become common for on-charge transactions. Indeed, fees are already common for some transactions today. Transaction fees will support miners but will pass through to the users. Let's think in terms of billions of nano payments because each block has a fixed maximum size there is a limit to how many transactions a miner can include. Miners will add transactions with the highest fees first and leave those transactions with low or zero fees to fight for whatever space might be left over. If, he, if your transaction fees is high enough, you can expect a miner to include it in the next block. But if the network is busy, 
and your fees is too low, it might take multiple blocks before a miner eventually records you in the blockchain. Transaction space reflect the marginal cost of verifying a transaction. If the block reward keeps halving and there is no incentive for miners to continue, then the hash rate would likely drop. If the hash rate drops, the network security declines. And without the network security, the trust in the blockchain will be lost. This leads us back to the 51% attack which we learned in the prior session. This is when a huge mining pool or a cartel of large mining pools controls a majority of hash rate. With that much firepower, they could establish a majority vote of miners and hijack block generation. On this process, once this process is hijacked, they could force their version of truth onto the block Bitcoin blockchain network. They wouldn't get rich from it, but they could reverse their own transactions with the previous block like a credit card chargeback. They would be even more costlier than mining new coins. Let us say attackers bought some ticket item from the same merchant. They waited until it gets shipped. Then they attack the network to get their money back. This wouldn't mean tackling their own block to the end of blockchain. This would mean going back and redoing block and following blocks containing all their purchases. Meanwhile, the network continues to generate new blocks. When the cartel's branch becomes longer, it becomes the new valid chain. Coin exchanges are typically the biggest stakeholders. Hence, the in incentives are inadequate for mass collaboration. The sixth and the biggest problem blockchain will create for our economy is the number of jobs lost. In India, with its population and cheap availability of labor, it will be a major issue because most of our services are exported. Imagine when blockchain does everything, what happens to the jobs of an accountant or other professionals? The blockchain could become an amazing platform for radical automation. Computer code, rather than human beings, could be doing the work of managing assets and coordinating talent. The overall consensus is that innovation will create the next generation of jobs in the long run. But with an economy like India, where the population is huge and uneducated, how will we upskill them to learn this technology so quickly? Professional service firms like PwC expect robots and artificial intelligence to replace 42% of the US jobs over the next 15 years. Now we are sure blockchain platform has the potential to abolish tens of thousands of jobs of professional service firms in auditing, accounting and finance. We believe new business and employment opportunities will arise from the shift through the creative destruction of the market. But this is certainly not guaranteed. The key concern remains, will blockchain lead to job loss, especially in the short to medium term, as many traditional roles inside these intermediaries become obsolete. Now, if we begin preparing now for the opportunities ahead, hundreds of millions of people could potentially become micro shareholders in new corporations and take part in the economic exchange. In the developing world, the blockchain and the cryptocurrencies could help entrepreneurs to raise capital, protect assets and intellectual property and will create jobs even in the poorest communities. The technology could vastly improve the delivery and development of aid. It could increase government's transparency, reduce corruption and set the conditions for good government. These results are not guaranteed and the possibility of even more people participating 
on a global platform that drops the barrier of transaction cost is quite appealing. Overall, what matters is not whether new capabilities exist. What matters is the extent to which we turn these capabilities into a social benefit. Maybe we need a new social contract, redefining human work and how much time we should all spend making a living. Our devices will have the potential to create wealth from autonomous vehicles to solar panels on our roofs plugged into electric microgrids. The last concern that we have is the use of this technology by criminals. The blockchain is decentralized, relatively fast and peer-to-peer, -peer, a seemingly good fit for criminal exploitation. Chances are you have heard of the Silk Road, a dark web marketplace for illegal drugs. Remember Silk Road example that we shared at its peak in October 2013, the Silk Road has nearly 14,000 listings priced in Bitcoin. Products were delivered by mail. The site provided a guide of how to avoid getting caught by authorities. When the FBI seized the site, the price of Bitcoin plummeted. Digital currencies became linked with crime, even though today only a tiny fraction of crimes takes place in cryptocurrencies. The truth is, there is nothing unique to Bitcoin or blockchain technology that makes it more effective for criminals than any other technology. In fact, digital currencies could actually help law enforcement. Digital times do lead to digital crimes. In general, though authorities believe that digital currency could provide a record of suspicious activity, it could aid in solving a host of cyber crimes from a financial services to Internet of Things. No unhackable computer system exists yet. Naturally, opportunities for crime and corruption have just scaled up with technology. And the core issue still remains. If the human beings want to exploit other human beings, they will use the latest means to do it, if their older ways no longer work. So these were all the major concerns that we foresee as implementation challenges. There would be more for sure, and whoever is able to answer most of these concerns will be able to create a network that would unleash the full potential of blockchain. I hope this podcast would have given you more insight into the fact that why blockchain technology is actually taking so much time to develop. Do let us know if you have any questions for us. This time we have also shared a PDF whereby I have listed all the major points for you to go through and make small notes. We'll be happy to know the feedback for the same. And also, we'll be happy to answer any of the questions you have. So, until next time, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Do let us know any query for us. Thank you.